to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Joel Darvosh. I'm a, I'm a senior fellow at Bruegel, and I'm, I'm very pleased to chair uh, this session and, uh, and the concluding panel. <clears throat> um, Alicia already indicated in her introduction that this panel will be about the impact on the, on the EU. Uh, and indeed, um, uh, he and, uh, uh, and Joavei Jou, I'm again sorry, wrote a nice paper on the impact of, of, uh, of Russia trade relations on, uh, on, on Europe. Uh, so they will present this paper. But let me also briefly introduce Alicia, because she didn't introduce herself. So she's a senior fellow at Bruegel, but beyond that, she has, she has many, many other, other positions. She's based in, in Hong Kong at the moment, <coughs> and she had many positions at different organizations like the BBVA, uh, the BIS, <coughs> um, at the Bank of Spain, uh, and also advising the European Central Bank, uh, at Banco Santander, and, and also at the, at, the, at the IMF. And his discussant will be uh, Matteo, uh, governatori from the from the European Commission, <coughs> who joined the Commission, I think, in 2004, and uh, and he worked for for different uh, uh, DGs, um, and currently he's mainly dealing with with China, Central Asia, and uh, Saudi Arabia. So, uh, Alicia, uh, the floor is yours. has written, to be frank. Uh, but we've been discussing this topic for quite some time. Uh, in fact, if we wanted to have this conference on China-Russia uh, relations with the whole idea of analyzing what could be the impact on Europe. So basically, sitting from Hong Kong, I feel that China-Russia relations are strengthening. Uh, and uh, I, I always feel that, okay, what was the impact on Europe? Because Russia has been a, a major trading partner for Europe and also strategically important for Europe. So, so, so this was a question that was really in my mind and I discussed with Ika, of course, uh, uh, Gofit about this since they are uh, such experts in Russia and also China. So that's the kind of the reason why we wrote this paper. Now the problem is when would you start discussing China-Russia relations, economic relations, it becomes really very uh, political and, you know, uh, so think about the Shanghai Cooperation Agreement. Uh, since 2001, Russia and China are sharing, um, you know, major roles in this Shanghai Cooperation Agreement, and, and which is expanding, you know, and we have uh, Pakistan, uh, a succeeding country, and so, there's a lot of issues that go beyond uh, whatever we can show you here, because this is an empirical study of trade relations, which is only part of the story, frankly speaking. But because that's all we could do really in the available time and also given our expertise, that's what I'm going to show you. But I wanted to really open the floor, that's why I'm doing this introduction, about any comments, questions, or ideas you have on the impact of China-Russia relations on the rest of Europe beyond trade. You know, and, and I'm sorry to say this to the discussion at this point in time, but you know, I'm sure we'll have 
uh, a lot of help from the audience because he only got our paper. And our paper is very narrow. I, I want to downplay what our paper can really answer to this question. But we do have some ideas in the paper based on this very narrow topic, which is trade. How China uh, increasing relations, which as I, I will show to you, between China and Russia trade-wise impact Europe. That's the only thing we, we are trying to do here. So this is the outline, the, some background, which I've already started. And, and the whole idea of the paper is really, so this in, the tri, in this trilateral uh, relation, where, the, where, where is the competition? Where are the um, complementarities? And I think after the wonderful papers that we had already, you probably already know where they are because you already have the background as to you know, who, who competes and who doesn't. But we're going to show you that literally you're a priori in a way in the data, in what we found. Um, yeah, so, so that's all. So first of all, um, so for Europe, and the whole paper is you know, thinking about Europe, China and Russia are really major uh, trading partners, and that's the first thing to take into account. So uh, Europe is Russia's largest trading partner, and China is a major economic competitor in a way for Europe. Maybe we could talk about uh, not only comp competition, I'm sure that, you know, for our representative of the Chinese embassy, maybe better say, uh, you know, cooperation. But the reality is that we are both large, you know, major exporters, if you think about our huge uh, account surplus, both in Europe and in China. So in a way, that's what I mean by competitors, that we are large exporting export engines in the world with huge export capacity. And, and that's uh, how I understand this idea of competition in this paper. That's all I, I meant, nothing else than that. Um, so. So the paper, of course, because this is a triangle, we need to look at two questions. First is for the, and again, from the perspective of Europe where we are sitting now, so, so how do we uh, uh, compare ourselves with China into the Russian market? That's one question. The other one is how do we compare ourselves with Russia into the Chinese market? That's how we kind of shape the paper in those two markets for Europe, be it Russia or China. Um, and, and that's why we show here, um, so EU trade with China and EU trade with Russia in those, in those two um, graphs. So, so basically what we're seeing here is that uh, in both cases, so EU trade flows uh, are you know more imports than exports, but with a difference. In the case of Russia, our uh, trade deficit is narrowing, and in the case of China, it's increasing. At least you know in the last few years, that's the only thing I want to show here. And then there's of course major events, as you can imagine. So in EU-Russia relations, in particular. Uh, with the Russia-Ukraine gas dispute and the annexation of Crimea, and of course the sanctions thereafter. And that does shape a little bit our results, as I will show, uh, of course, uh, no doubt that they, they do. Um, and then uh, on, on the side, the increase in economic relations between China and Russia. Okay, 
So I guess I need to learn how you did it before. So without. Okay, I need to. Okay, so. Well, this is just for those. I mean, it's not up to me. I'm just a humble economist, not a, a political scientist or whatever, and, and I don't want to bother you too much with uh, history. But I do want to comment that uh, when, if we had no background, historical background, this question would look uh, kind of uh, very simple because gravity, well, maybe not uh, because of the capitals of both, but these countries, China and Russia, are neighbors. I mean, and literally so, and with a huge border. So you could argue, of course, I mean, they, they are integrating. Uh, why not? I mean, that is logical. But the reality is that their historical relations are pretty complicated, and and they've only improved recently. So, so I just wanted to make this strong point that what seems obvious wasn't obvious until very, quite recently. And that is, I think, why Europe, and I want to go a little bit beyond the um, empirical results, if uh, Wei allows me, uh, this is why this strategic partnership uh, has, in a way, been, uh, to me, not so observed, if I may say that with your permission, in Europe. You know, it's like we are a little bit surprised by this uh, increase in economic relation between China and Russia. And it's all down there in the, uh, by the fact that those relations were historically so difficult. And we've kind of missed the steps in between. Shanghai Cooperation Agreement is a clear one uh, on the security side, but there's many economic steps that we've kind of missed, or I don't want to say missed, maybe not the commission, I don't, but generally, I mean, uh, the public as a whole is very surprised about this uh, increasing relation between Russia and China, and quite uh, reluctant even to accept it somehow, I feel, in, in different fora that, uh, you know, that I've been to, that there is this sense of what's happening now, and it's actually been a while, but it is true that against a background of a very difficult relation. So that that's what I want to strengthen, which will be shown in the data in a minute. So now, the paper we could have actually conducted, and, and Jiang Wei can uh, actually explain this much better than I, so Jiang Wei, I give you the floor anytime you want on this. But, but when we were discussing this, I had in mind a very simple analysis, like just look at exports. And Jiang Wei convinced me, no, no, Alicia, that's not the way to go. You need to look at the economic structure and domestic production and take all of that into account. And he drove me through very complicated models that I don't understand. But the reality is he has a point. Because when you look at domestic, the size of the domestic economy as opposed to the exports, the picture is a bit different than even what we see when we look at protectionist measures and so on, uh, meaning uh, to Laura's uh, very interesting point on Russia being very protectionist as opposed to China. Actually, what I, uh, I see here is that uh, Russia in a way, maybe reluctantly so, if I may, given your uh, figures of protectionism, but reluctantly, but more open to the rest of the world because the share of imports is larger for for its economy, as I show here, yeah, this, this thing here, well, uh, it's behind the, the orange part, as opposed to China. So in very simple terms, 15% uh, of China's, of Russia's 
size of the economy, if I may, is imported. But in, in China, it's increasingly, it's, it's always less or, you know, or stable, but compared to, so, so they do everything, if I may put it very bluntly, they do everything by themselves because, of course, they are moving up the ladder, they can produce more stuff. I, I, I'm not saying this is because of protectionism. I can't say that because I don't know. Well, according to Lara, actually not. But the truth is that they need the rest of the world less than Russia, according to these figures. And that's actually very telling for what the impact may be on Europe. Because you have an economy that imports a lot, Russia, for which you are the largest trading partner. For China, you aren't. And you used to be, no longer so, but you know. Uh, but the, the reality is that they, their need for you is less. That's the starting point of, of this paper. Um, so where I'm supposed to look at, I don't know. The lady there, okay, it's like magic. I look at the lady and this moves, but no, <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so maybe. Okay, oh, the problem is if I go too fast, then yeah, nothing happens. Okay, here you go. So this is uh, looking at the import competition from the EU uh, into Russia and China, but I'm focusing now on the import share of the EU um, on Russia and China. So, um, so these are top 10 imports from the EU in China and top 10 imports from Russia in China. So, so basically, uh, what does EU uh, export to China, in other words, and what does EU export to, uh, what does Russia export to China? So that's where we start seeing, and I'm not challenging, of course, that maybe Russia does export, you know, 6% in manufacturing, but when I look only at that universe, so Russia into China, as opposed to EU into China, they already look very complementary to me to me, meaning Russia and Europe. I, that's not where the problem lies, because we export very different stuff into China, very clearly. And I, I find it very difficult to see a change. We were talking about nuclear as a, you know, um, a major uh, um, sector, maybe, where we could see potential uh, competitive um, uh, 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 you know, uh, power, if you want, from Russia. But you actually see that it's Europe exporting nuclear reactors. Uh, the, the nuclear reactors, the third from Russia into China, is very, very small. So maybe, but that's not what we see so far in the data. And so in other words, you see Europe exporting very up high in the ladder into China, and uh, Russia exporting uh, literally is like a one good economy, as far as China is concerned. I'm not saying that's maybe true everywhere, but that's what we see in these figures. And, and not only that, Russia is still today and very stable, uh, quite small, uh, a small partner, at least as imports are concerned for China, but Europe is still uh, very large. And, uh, and that's what you see in this figure here. So about 20% of total. But of course not the largest. Uh, it used to be, but no longer so. Um, 
Now, this is uh, looking at Russia, as I said, the other question in the paper is so kind of complementarity, at least that's what the figures show for China, Russia, Europe into China. Now, what about uh, China, Europe into Russia? The second question. And that's where we start seeing that, you know, uh, we, we're entering shaky waters for Europe because that's where we see clear competition at least sector-wise. So what we see is, uh, yeah, the pointer, but it doesn't go beyond. Okay, so nuclear reactors, uh, number one, from EU into Russia, boilers, machine is not only nuclear reactors, let's face it, but anyway, when I look at the same sector, uh, it's number two for China already. So it's about the same. Maybe you can think about whether it's the same quality, whether it's the same, uh, I don't know. But the truth is that we're starting to see the same sectors as we move along. Electrical machinery, number three for uh, Europe, number one for China already. So it, it, it's already quite similar. And most importantly, when you look at the import share of the EU into Russia, the orange, and then which used to be very, very large, 70%, moving down to 55 or something. And you look at China, starting from barely 2%, already at 20. So it's very fast. It's really very fast. So in a nutshell, um, China is taking market share, very clearly. From whom? From Europe, because it's the largest trading partner. So. You know, I don't even need to run the regressions, but Jiang Wei insisted, so we did it. But frankly, this, this is very telling already. So, yeah, so this is what he did. So basically, he kept on saying, we need to take into account domestic production, which we did, that's why we went through that hell, or he did. And uh, to really uh, estimate a good elasticity of substitution, that's our key concept in the paper to really assess whether two, uh, these two countries, of course, uh, controlling for the rest of the world, uh, do compete or are complementary in their trade into Russia or China. So this, this kind of triangle. Um, and, and what we find, so, so basically taking into, into account the market share value, that, that's the key point uh, to use this methodology. So, yeah, whether I'm the, use, the most useless here or my position is the worst, I don't know. I need to, okay. So, okay, so, okay, okay, so that's the magic. I'll do that, okay. Thank you. Um, so, these are the key results I'm going to show you now. So, as I hope you all expected, uh, based on the previous papers and what I just said, the EU and Russia are complementary, according to our results, in the Chinese market. So that's no issue for, for Europe. And we've, as shown by the negative and highly uh, significant elasticity that we find in our results uh, for our sample. And however, EU and China are uh, substitutes. I mean, they, they compete, basically, in the uh, Russian market. And as you see, it's a very high coefficient as well. So elasticity above one. So it, it's, in, and, and as, and, you know, then we thought, okay, is this 
more the case now than before. So rolling regressions, yes, indeed. So this calls for, although we can't prove that, but you know, as Europe became more, uh, put it this way, stricter with Russia, to say the least, uh, Russia, uh, China probably liked it, uh, to say the least. So you know, it, it, this 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 thing has only accelerated. That elasticity has only become higher over time. Ah, by the way, and when I look at Europe against the rest of the world, just to show you, I mean, that elasticity, no significance. So this is a pretty strong thing because we don't find the same for the rest of the world. Of course, that's a very general concept. We're not looking at bilateral relations, but I'm just saying it, it does show that, that this triangle, there is something happening in the Russia market that is not happening elsewhere, very clearly. So he said to do this, I'm not sure. Oh my God, this is that's magic, no, yeah, okay. So uh, now, of course, we had, as I showed you, sectoral data. So we used our sectoral data to kind of answer the question, is this uh, the issue of competition, is it general or is it just in, uh, you know, within a sector, which I think uh, is also very telling for the story because um, if it's really within sector, which is uh, what we find for the competition in the Russian market is even, I mean, we should be quite uh, worried in Europe about this because it's really within the sector that you already have. So in other words, we could compete, but in a way we could compete in sectors where we feel comfortable with. So low skill sectors, so China, yes, compete, but you know, we still are here and in those sectors, we don't feel the pressure. But the results show that we should, we are feeling the pressure in even very strategic and important sectors for Europe. That's what we are basically seeing here. Um, so, uh, so that and the complementarity is not, of course, driven through a sector because it's uh, the, the complementarity comes from the fact that we export in very different sectors. So, so that's that's a, a no-brainer. It's only the first result that I think is very important. The good thing, it gives me time to think, this, this idea. So evolution of the elasticity of substitution, as I mentioned, we did rolling regressions, meaning we wanted to see how this parameter uh, would evolve over time. And uh, I, I found it very appealing that, uh, of course, the sustainability between EU and China uh, and Russia in China, which I said was negative, meaning complementarity, is either stable or, but it's of course negative, but it's negative since 2008. So something must have happened in the structure of the Russian economy, or if not in the European economy, but I rather think it's the former, that has made Russia and Europe more and more complementary, i.e., but I can't prove this, more dependence on uh, commodities, be it because of price or because of volume, uh, Laura already answered that question, probably it's only the price effect, but no matter how, it seems that that complementarity is a relatively recent uh, issue. And more importantly, our sustainability with China in the Russian market, so the idea that we compete, is, has, has been there for a while, but it has increased since 2012. 
that's, yeah, sure, I'll be done in a minute. So that, that is, again, I don't know whether it's our behavior toward Russia or whatever, I don't know, but I see that that has only increased in the data. So, yeah, I only have five minutes, so please react <laughs> to my command. Stimulating, uh, sorry, no, not stimulating. Not stimulating, sorry, I meant simulating. This is a typo. It's, it's a stimulating typo, but it's just a typo. So, uh, so basically, what we thought, John and I, is, okay, but uh, what about if, what if Russia and China, beyond the Shanghai Cooperation Agreement, which is a little bit like on the security side, cooperate on any way or form. Imagine that the Belt and Road becomes a free trade area or that they have a bilateral agreement or who knows what. So that they basically reduce their import tariffs massively. And we make a, an assumption just by reducing bilateral export prices by 20%. As simple as that. We don't know whether that is uh, by any means feasible, but that's our assumption. And we end up uh, finding that by them, the, these third markets for Europe, increasing their economic cooperation through reduction of tariffs or any other means which would reduce export prices for them, Europe would lose as much as 4% of its exports into these two economies, mainly to Russia. So, so when, I, when we compare, actually, uh, and uh, we've been debating this, but the impact on China is slightly positive, and there's a reason for that, but it's slightly positive. So everything is on Russia. So we would lose additional market share in Russia uh, beyond what I've already shown you that has already happened from that 70% to less than 55 or about 55. So that would be the impact of such economic or trade cooperation for Europe. Uh, as uh, a simulation. And of course, this is, as you know, this is just yeah, many caveats. This is Ceteris Paribus. Uh, I mean, we don't really know whether that will be the impact. But it does sound plausible that Europe will lose if you know, China and Russia engage in a free trade area or any other uh, trade agreement, basically. So in conclusion, uh, uh, our paper only focuses, as I mentioned, on a single question, uh, which is trade, you know, uh, sustainability or uh, complementarity by estimating the elasticity of substitution. And we find that the China market is a no-brainer for us sitting in Europe, meaning Russia and Europe do not compete. So that should not be, quote-unquote, a policy question for us. The key policy question is the Russian market for Europe. That's where the Chinese competition seems to be fearful, within sector, as I mentioned. And uh, not only that, it, if they were to engage in any kind of trade agreement, it would only get much worse, according to our results. So I guess that's all I, I was going to say. And I'm on time, I believe. So thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> thank you very much, uh, Alicia. I mean, your paper, I think, <coughs> provoked a lot of lot of questions, and and that hope hope we will discuss. But first, uh, <coughs> um, Matteo may may have may have some some comments, and I believe you have slides too. Indeed, I have slides. So, yeah, so sure. again, you will need to struggle with this <laughs> device as well. <laughs> so, okay, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, uh, 
first of all, thank you very much to, the, to Bruegel and also to, to Boffitt, uh, to ICA, for, for having invited me to this very, very topical, interesting, very interesting seminar, for having asked me to act as discussant. Um, just, uh, just before I start the specification, I mean, did mainly Russia desk rather than China desk within the, the, global, the global economy unit in, in, in DG ECFIN. Um, okay. Let me, uh, I enjoyed very much reading this, uh, this paper and I hope I can provide some well, couple of useful comments. So it seems to be working relatively well. Okay, um, somehow already the speaker, Alicia, put it in a broader perspective from the beginning uh, of her discussion, contrary to the presentation of the paper, which as you said, is very much focused on this, uh, on this trade issue and the substitutability. Indeed, I try to summarize here the topic of the, uh, of the paper. So the idea is indeed, as you emphasized pretty much, is on this substitutability versus complementarity of the EU versus Chinese exports in Russia and the EU and Russian exports in China. So the whole paper revolves, uh, revolves around this concept, which in the end is, is relatively, relatively intuitive. So I like this balance between the econometrics, but also the, 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 in the end the intuition of the, of the results. And it's interesting uh, also having combined both the aggregate and sectorial level. So this cross-sectoral aspect uh, and the within-sector competition, uh, competition or complementarity. Uh, in, let's say in terms, in terms of tools, is the, the, the estimates of the elast this elasticity of substitution is the key uh, tool used to investigate the topic. And from there, uh, there is an attempt to draw conclusions on the effect of enhanced Russian and Chinese trade ties uh, basically on our exports to, to both markets. And I, in the last line, I try to summarize, uh, to summarize the key results. Basically, we would have, following an enhanced trade ties between, uh, between uh, China and Russia, uh, a loss of 4% of our exports, cumulative, as Alicia underlined, to both markets, and also translating into minus 1% market, market share in Russia, and basically all, almost no effect, or actually a slightly positive one, on our share in China. Perhaps uh, later on I will... Uh, give some comments on these numbers. But first, uh, let's see. Okay. So first point, why, uh, why I find this, uh, this uh, paper, and I would say the whole seminar, to be particularly relevant? Because it touches on an aspect which is, in, in my view, a bit neglected in the whole current debate between the Russian, uh, between the bilateral uh, economic and political relations between, between Russia and the EU. Because the current debate, particularly when we talk about sanctions, the counter sanctions, and, and their impact is basically on the direct effect of the sanctions on the Russian and the EU economies, respectively, looking mainly at the bilateral uh, economic links, so trade financial links, uh, tourism inflows and outflows, economic confidence, energy, etc. But there is not much reflection so far on a more indirect effect, which uh, could be a possible reorientation of Russia uh, towards other regions, both economically uh, and politically, which one could make this hypothesis, completely to be tested, of course, that this might be an indirect long-term effect of prolonged sanctions. And this indeed... Uh, 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 makes this paper, uh, in a way, and the whole seminar starting to fill a void, uh, also by providing quantitative estimations on the actual trade implications for the, for the EU. Even more topical, as uh, it was mentioned already, recalled uh, repeatedly in the, in, the, in the previous sessions, uh, uh, Russia launched a new narrative, including this sort of pivot to the east 
in a way also as a reaction to the to the uh, to the uh, cooling of the of the political relations between the, between uh, the EU Russia and this pivot to the east is often in many Western circles somehow met with some uh, skepti with some skepticism with the impression that this perhaps might be more rhetoric than substance but still that is certainly a topic which needs to be uh, to be looked at and investigated against hard data. Okay. Now, as, as, as Alicia told, basically, I am a bit, in a way, uh, um, somehow you preempted some of the comments and the numbers because you are, in a way, repeating a little bit the numbers that you show, uh, that, that you have shown uh, earlier on the bilateral, on the trade with China, Russia, some basic facts, but still. Uh, still worth basically to remind, to remind them. Basically, we have the size of the EU exports and the EU imports from both Russia, from and to both Russia and China in, in the upper charts, and the corresponding share of EU exports and EU imports vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, vis -vis Russia and, and China. And, uh, oops, let's see. Uh, perhaps, uh, I don't know if somebody can help me. Great, thanks. Let's see. Yeah, the following uh, chart is this one. So basically, I'm uh, somehow uh, it's a good, certainly a good starting point to, to recall the main facts on the concerning the trade with China and Russia. So uh, we have a negative trade balance with both. We have, as Alicia uh, pointed out, a stable rising. It's interesting this, this dichotomy, if you want, that we have in the evolution vis-a-vis -vis the two partners. We have stable rising exports and imports to and from China, whereas we have decreasing exports and imports to and from Russia, although there, I mean, there is certainly a price value issue concerning our imports because uh, clearly the data mask also this huge uh, fall of oil prices regards, uh, so simply the, the, the dollar value of, of our imports, which are mainly skewed towards oil and gas, is, is decreased. And on the export side, of course, we have the current recession in Russia, which somehow is the main driving force in this decrease of our exports in that, uh, in that market. And also looking at the, uh, the shares, it's interesting to see, to see the difference in 2015, China accounted for around 20% of our imports, close to 10% of our exports, with the respective figures for Russia being at 8% as regards imports, largely oil and gas, and 4% as regards exports. Already comes up pretty strongly this, uh, this uh, huge dichotomy between the size of our, of our relationships with, the, with, with these two markets. And interesting, if one does a very simple back on the envelope calculation, this minus 4% uh, uh, lower exports to both Russia and China, which the paper finds, looking at the 2015 data very roughly would amount to around uh, 10 billion euros worth of, of decrease in exports, so probably relatively small compared to the overall scale of our trade, but certainly not, uh, certainly not peanuts. Now, uh, I, uh, I would, uh, in my discussion mainly, I would like to, to, uh, to uh, see the, this paper in, in the broader frameworks of the prospects of for China and Russia trade ties. Because uh, now the, the, first, the first question also to see if you want to check the, the, the real research motivation of this paper is whether a sharp increase in the China-Russia bilateral trade is likely. And now one can, one can look at, at a number of, of relatively simple factors of, to, to reply this question. We observe that Russia is still in recession, albeit, albeit bottoming out, perhaps now that the latest data uh, lends uh, uh, some support to a bit more optimism than earlier, but still there are large risks of a protracted stagnation. 
We see the potential growth remain low according to all uh, estimates. The investments are relatively anemic. We have a subdued domestic demand amid a large income squeeze during the past recession. And there is consensus basically that the gain in price competitiveness with Russia achieved by a weak ruble does not seem to be sufficient to kickstart exports and growth. And, and last, there is also an emphasis on economic self-reliance uh, in Russia, uh, such, as in the, such as within the import, such as from uh, this, this growing emphasis on the import substitution uh, program. So if you put all these elements together, uh, it looks like that the prospects of a Chinese, the incentives for a, for a strong Chinese economic reorientation towards Russia to the disadvantage, disadvantage of the EU, seem not to be there at the moment. So this reorientation appears a bit unlikely if you put the, the, the discussion in this broader context. Okay. Although there are a number of caveats that one need to, need to quote, uh, um, we see it in Russia, uh, for example, the, um, we observe an increasing um, um, uh, an increasing emphasis uh, at the highest level on the need to carry out structural reforms. Uh, there is uh, the so-called Plan K, which has been in a way, uh, in a way announced by both, by both President Putin and, and Alexei Kudrin. There seems to be a stronger commitment by Russian authorities on structural reform. And one, of course, cannot exclude that this, this structural reform momentum gains traction. Of course, the economic prospects for Russia would change, and even the incentives for a possible reorientation of China because this could support, obviously, investment and enhance set the condition for production diversification, thus leading also to a greater import demand uh, in Russia. On the other hand, we know that it's legitimate to have some doubts on the chances of success of these reform plans, plan, because uh, past, uh, in the past, reform plans were indeed, already, were indeed already devised. They did not fare particularly greatly. And we also have a long election cycle uh, looming in the horizon in Russia, which probably is, is a little bit at odd for setting the right incentives for doing sometimes even painful structural reforms. On the other hand, prospects might be brighter for individual sectors, and this sectoral, this need perhaps of looking at specific sectors rather than trade in general came up pretty, pretty repeatedly, I would say, also in the previous sessions. And for example, enhanced supplies of Russian oil and gas to China via new pipelines, within exchange, to put it simply, uh, in exchange of greater penetration to be granted for Chinese imports uh, uh, to, um, uh, uh, to Russia. Although we know that this is subject, as it was discussed uh, uh, previously, this sort of deal would be subject, is subject to long-term investment and infrastructure projects to enhance this oil and gas supply. And we understood this, this, this morning, basically, that there is a long way to go in order to have these projects, projects finalized. Now, not entering too much on the methodology, I try to stick more on the, on the intuition so far, just but entering a little bit in some more details on the methodology. Um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be quick. Just, uh, I, would, I would say that it would be interesting to have in the paper a bit more discussion on these complementarities, on these two aspects, the complementarity and substitutability across sectors versus within sectors. Because the first component is quite intuitive. Okay, the idea is that you and Russia are specialized in different sectors as regards uh, export to China, so we are not competing there, basically. The problem is that we compete uh, on similar goods with China on the Russian export. So that's where we are going to lose, basically. This is pretty clear. But the within sector, uh, you show basically a pretty complex table yeah. with the, yeah. the sector by sector, within sector. 
um, elasticities, and that, that would require it's a bit more intuition and explanation of the different results in the sectors. Okay, the econometric specification, very complex, but the overall idea to me is relatively, relatively sound and intuitive. Basically, there is an equation linking market shares with cross-market import prices, looking at past data, and from there you derive this elasticity of substitution. It looks, looks pretty, pretty intuitive to me. Uh, uh, the evolution over time of the elasticity of substitution is an interesting aspect and pro probably that would deserve some further investigations. For example, you try to argue that sanctions somehow change a little bit the game and trigger this increase in, in elasticity of substitution. Would be nice to see whether actually you yeah. can establish a sort of yeah, econometric yeah, significant yeah. Uh, impact because in the end sanctions did not touch exactly trade, no? mm. except for um, something on dual uh, dual-use goods, arms, and of course we have the counter-sanctions by Russia on the agricultural uh, goods, but, but their trade is only touched to a minor extent, so it's not so obvious that there must be this, mm -hmm. this increase in the elasticity of substitution. Uh, on the simulation, this uh, simulation of the shock of inestrate ties looks a bit arbitrary, this minus 20% mm -hmm. decrease. Perhaps, I wonder whether we, one could simulate what happened after the WTO accession mm -hmm. of China to see whether you can anchor this shock to some, something which happened already, already in the past. And then, uh, very quickly summing up, so essentially, the real risk here, let's say in more policy terms, is whether the EU could be displaced from Russia market by more aggressive China's exports. Mm. And, okay, we, we observe the sharp demand slowdown in Russia, which probably makes this unlikely in the short term, and we discussed that the turnaround in the long term is unlikely because the prospects for the big diversification and structural reforms in Russia, uh, let's say it is legitimate to have some doubt about that. The exports to Russia from the non-sanctioning countries and colleagues of Buffett showed that in, in the morning, including China, fell, fell nearly as much as from the EU in 2015. So it doesn't look like that basically they took a big advantage from the cooling of the, of the bilateral relationships between Russia and the EU. And the EU export share in Russia is relatively low and decreasing, and it looks like the EU member states are also manage, this is evidence that we have uh, in ECFIN, that basically managed to divert sometimes trade to alternative markets during the current Russia recession. So, okay, I would say that there is, given all these, uh, these considerations, probably the research motivation of the paper could and should be uh, strengthened a bit more. For example, by focusing, but here is just speculation, perhaps on the more exposed EU member states rather than the EU as a whole, or pay more attention to sectorial specificities like, like, uh, like oil and gas. And given the time constraint, I would, uh, I would end there. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, uh, Matteo, for this very uh, interesting comments and also <coughs> on your comments on the methodology and, and your suggestions on, on how, how the work could be, could be developed further. Uh, let, let's, uh, Alicia and, and Juan, may open the floor, I think, for, for questions and comments, and then when you respond, you will be also able to respond to Matteo's, Matteo's remarks. So let me open the floor, and um, yeah, Ika, please. <clears throat> okay, um, Ika Korone from Bank of Finland. Uh, a question to, to Alicia. Uh, you said that there seemed to be a break in 2008, but then you didn't want to speculate on the, on the, on the cause of that. Is it possible that uh, the global financial crisis, when it threatened to hit China, of course there was massive, massive fiscal stimulus uh, in, in various forms, and it seemed that in many sectors you actually then had uh, increasing capacity. Yeah. 
and then that increased capacity in later years sort of turned up in, also in Russian markets among, among many other places. Uh, I, I, of course, that's speculation unless you back it up with data, but then I think you could look at the sectoral uh, composition of exports which increased most, and if you can find a co corresponding increase uh, in, in capacity in the 2008-2009 period. Thanks. Very good. Thank you. Uh, there was mention of different sectors. I'm particularly interested in the service sector. The EU has enormous potential there, and in general, the part of trade and service in the whole world trade is very low still. So most of the GDPs are at a much higher level than the trade and service, actually. How far would the trade and services be a, a negative factor here? Because China is very weak in services. EU is very strong, and as far as I know, Russia is weak as well. So here in the long term, it seems to be the main sector for the EU, not only to keep up its export, but to increase. How is that seen in, uh, the, fact, in the various data you have in your uh, presentation here. Is there some way to see the service sector separate from the others? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes, please. Um, well, of course, prices were mentioned as an important element, but um, I'm a little bit concerned with the issue of misinvoicing. Uh, in the Chinese case, we know that Chinese trade is, well, badly misinvoiced. So to what extent does, is this true with the trade between China and Russia? And if so, what's the margin of error? Is it constant over time? Is it time varying? Uh, so what's the sort of confidence interval around your estimate? Thank you, Esther Zanan from EU Observer. I would like, just like to ask, uh, how do you think that the possible or likely rollover of uh, sanctions on Russia will affect these, these trends? Will it strengthen? It the, hasn't happened yet, but uh, the possible rollover of sanctions, um, how would that affect the, these trends? That would be my question. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think it's, it's a point very well taken that the market share of China in Russian market is, has been increasing, and it certainly, certainly, certainly so. I was wondering, are you willing to speculate on how much of this uh, increasing trade between Russia and China is a, a result of the conscious policy steps that you showed in the beginning of, of Grand, grand plans on, on various issues, and how much are we actually discussing a more global phenomenon of the role of China increasing everywhere, everywhere. And, and the fact that the, the, in many sectors EU companies are facing stiffer competition from Chinese competitors everywhere, yeah. and so in that sense Russia is just, just an example of what's happening globally. Very good comment. Now, I, I let me let me give the floor back to you, um, Alicia and Huawei. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, Jung, do you want to take any specific question or? Okay. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your help. <laughs> no, but it's, it's okay, because they were mainly not uh, econometric. Otherwise, I will just refuse to answer. But anyway, so... Um, so a few comments. First of all, Matteo, thank you very much for your uh, comments. They were very helpful. Um, I think this idea of within sector complementary substitution really will go through that because the data is there. We need to explain that better. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, you know, as I said, we'll explore. Um, the, I think we could also look at uh, breaking points in the in the increasing um, uh, increasing um, substitution between Europe and China into Russia. I mean, whether part is sanctions or whether it's a fiscal stimulus package. I think on, on that account. Um, I mean, yes, maybe sanctions don't have direct, I mean, it's not directly affecting trade, but frankly, it, I think for me it's very hard to argue that it would not affect trade because, you know, through many indirect channels and also simply the, uh, all of, imagine all of the purchases, yeah, of, of machinery or, or inputs from in, any company uh, that, you know, related to the government. I mean, I would react also that way, frankly, if I were. So, so it's very human, if you want. Maybe not imposed, but very human to react. So it's, a, in, in a way, another counter, if you want, sanction type of behavior, if not a counter sanction itself. So, so but yeah, it, it, I, the, the problem, of course, that our data is not high frequency enough to really evaluate that and, and this is only a recent issue, it's 2014, so it's, it's hard to to um, measure it properly. On, on the 2008 uh, breakpoint that Ika was referring, which is related to this, I, I think um, there's two issues. I think on imports, Chinese imports from Russia, I would imagine that this is very important. Why? Because uh, basically growth, uh, at, actually accelerated in China compared to the rest of the world. So China contributed to global growth. It was basically close to one third of global growth, 33% of global growth in 2008, 2009. So that's where China kind of takes the, it becomes the key engine of the global economy. So I can imagine that uh, compared to the rest of the, of the world, demand for energy in China would be really like overwhelming. I mean, and, and therefore uh, imports of say gas or from Russia would have ballooned simply because the rest of the world was not, you know, in, in its shape to, 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 to demand anything from, or even especially energy. Also because that stimulus package was investment driven. So more so uh, very energy uh, intensive. So, so that's why I think for Russia exports into China, surely. For Chinese exports into Russia, which was your point of overcapacity, I think what we've uh, analyzed in, in, in different, uh, not, not in this paper, but elsewhere, that is only the starting point, if you want, of overcapacity. That's why I don't think that's what we, it's not really a breaking point. Because 
At that point, the Chinese economy was actually overheating, meaning there was not really, like, you know, as of today, negative producer prices. The overcapacity, in a way, is a consequence of that boost in production in, from 2008, 2009 onwards, that excess investment then. So I don't think uh, that is behind the increase in trade with Russia at that point in time. It may be behind the future increase in trade or the current increase in trade with Russia. But I don't think that, so, so there is a time lag, in other words, for that excess capacity to explain Chinese exports into, into, into Russia, to your question. And um, the service sector, we don't include services here. Is that correct, John? It's only uh, goods export, so we really don't have an answer. Although your point is absolutely well taken. Uh, um, uh, we, we could discuss, maybe I leave it to John Wei to talk about services and what China is expecting to do with services, because even there we may face some, you know, competition threat in, in not very not, in, in not very long uh, Think about tourism, think of, I mean, they're in a way capturing the market at the source, yeah, through outdoor FDI. And, and also they're becoming an increasingly relevant recipient of tourism. So um, even there, I mean, that's only tourism, but anyway. Yeah, of course, also. Yeah, uh, they're a major lender, think about Russia uh, or the rest of the emerging world. So they are also exporting services increasingly. But that's, uh, you know, it, we didn't really analyze that. Um, and then the impact of a rollover of sanctions, I think maybe uh, Matteo can comment. I don't, I don't know. I, I, well, we had a discussion during the break. Uh, so if I follow my, although I don't know whether my results are uh, I mean, that increase in the competition is based on assumptions. It's just, uh, it's, it so happens at the same time, but I can't prove, therefore I can't answer your question. But if that spurious correlation <laughs> that we find were to be true, the answer would then be, yes, more market share will be lost towards China from Europe, but I can't prove that. And finally, very importantly, is this just Russia? I, I, again, we don't know because we've not done the same exercise for the rest of the world, but from a different uh, research I've conducted with other co-authors on the role of China in Africa and the role of China in Latin America and comparing the two regions, of course, this is certainly not um, a Russia-only story. Um, the only difference, though, is that Europe was not the largest trading partner in Latin America, or for that matter, even in many of the African countries, maybe only in a few of them. And by the way, the size of Africa for European exports probably wasn't you know, as high as Russia. So what I'm trying to say, yes, maybe this is a global trend, but it does affect Europe differently. Uh, so this is more of a concern than maybe what we see happening elsewhere. And that's why we brought it to the table, because I think it's also the concept that Eric introduced, which I think is very interesting, this idea of strategic um, uh, interdependence. Or, uh, uh, so 
it goes beyond. We only focus on trade because that's all we could do. But frankly, it, 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 this is uh, uh, more, in my opinion, a more strategic issue for Europe than, say, China's increasing relations with Latin America or Africa, for that matter. So, so that's why I think it's at the core of, uh, you know, should be, and I can't agree more with Matteo at the core of our discussions, uh, because this is really, you know, our space, if you want, and um, we see this as a as a very interesting, but you know, maybe not threatening, but kind of um, worrisome trend if you think about Europe as an export engine. So I leave it there. I don't know whether I missed any questions, but otherwise, just let me know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Alicia, for your... I think you, you try to answer very carefully many, many, many of the points. Um, we started about 20 minutes late, and we also ended the session about 20 minutes late. Oh. So we now move right now to the to the policy panel. Now many policy issues have been have been discussed so far, but I'm sure that 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 many more uh, questions can 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 <coughs> come to the floor. And we have four excellent panelists. So <coughs> let me introduce them alphabetically. But we ask them to speak in a different order. But first introduction. So <coughs> Alicia <coughs> Garcia Herrero. I mean, are you introduced you before? Then we will have uh, Vasily Gavrilkov, <clears throat> who is the, the first secretary of the of the permanent mission of, of the EU uh, of, the, of of Russia to EU. Then we will have Ika Korhonen, who <clears throat> already spoke uh, a number of times, and he has been at, with Bofit since July 1995. Uh, I have to say that the first time I visited the Bank of Finland was August 1995. So it's. It's already almost 22 years since we know, know each other. So, and he has been the head of Bofit since 2009. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> we will have, last but not least, uh, Ming Si Sun, who is currently the Chancellor <clears throat> for Economic Affairs of the Chinese Mission to the EU. But let me mention that he also worked for the Chinese representation in Helsinki. Uh, <laughs> so you also have some connection to, connections to, to, to Finland. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, so we, we discussed that we would start with the, with the two representations. So first with, with Mr. Gavrilov. Um, and I asked each panelist to speak about, about uh, five minutes on, on whatever policy topic they deem, they deem relevant to the, to the subject. So uh, Mr. Gavrilov. Thank you, Rolte. It is always a pleasure to speak of uh, Russia-China uh, Russia uh, relations, because uh, fortunately, we do not have any, any political prob problems in our uh, relationship and China is a truly strategic partner uh, for Russia and we have a comprehensive interaction on, on uh, various issues, uh, on foreign policy issues and we have, of course, a very extensive and wide economic cooperation. And it is uh, a real, we see uh, having China as a neighbor uh, as a real advantage uh, because we know we can um, uh, have some both, Russia and China can get some economic benefits from that and political, of course, as well. Uh, as uh, the Russian President Vladimir Putin has put it, uh, uh, our relations are uh, at an unprecedented level indeed, and uh, we have uh, a very uh, active political dialogue. For example, our leaders met five times. Uh, last year, President Putin is to visit uh, China on the 25th of June, to start his visit, at least on the 25th of June. Uh, this year there will be another meeting of our intergovernmental commission uh, chaired by our two premiers 
in, in September, as far as I remember, uh, we have uh, many mechanisms for cooperation. We have four uh, commissions for uh, trade and economy, economic ties, for investment projects, uh, for humanitarian um, uh, issues, and for energy, of course. Um, we cooperate very well in this, uh, as the Security Council. We uh, always stress the central role of the United Nations. And uh, we uh, stress the need to respect uh, international law and the principle of non-interference in internal affairs. And uh, indeed, uh, I think that Russia-China cooperation on foreign policy issues has, has already become a very important stabilizing and balancing factor in, in, uh, uh, in international environment. Uh, for example, we have uh, very similar positions on, on uh, Syria or on the... Uh, uh, problems uh, that are present at the Korean Peninsula. And we also have uh, a very strong cooperation in the BRICS format. Uh, we also have a trilateral format between Russia, China, and uh, India, which is a quite effective one uh, as well. Um, we uh, interact in the framework of this Shanghai uh, Cooperation Organization and of course, uh, we have, uh, we believe, very good prospects for cooperation between the Eurasian Economic Union and um, China. And there are discussions about uh, an agreement on trade and economic cooperation between the Eurasian Economic Union and the People's Republic of China. And uh, all the leaders of the Eurasian Economic Union have already expressed their will, their will to proceed with uh, this uh, um, initiative. And besides, I also want to stress that uh, in December last year, uh, the Russian president has um, proposed an initiative to create a common economic space between the countries of the Eurasian Economic Union, of the Shanghai Organiza Cooperation Organization, and uh, uh, the ASEAN uh, countries. Uh, we could create as a first step, uh, a free trade zone between Russia and uh, the ASEAN member states. Um, now let me uh, come to, to our bilateral trade with, with uh, China. We, we saw a decline, as it was said in the previous sessions, but now uh, trade has been improving and we, have, we, see, we already see some positive trends this year. Uh, and uh, I want to say that China has been the first trading partner for Russia since 2010. And if uh, the oil price would stand at at least $80, we would already have a, um, uh, uh, already have exceeded the, the volume of trade of uh, 100 billion US dollars between Russia and China. Um, we have uh, been building a very strong uh, alliance in, in the energy sector. There is an agreement uh, between Russia and China to build the to construct the pipeline, uh, the power of Siberia, the so-called Eastern Route, mm. which will provide up to 38 billion cubic meters of Russian natural gas to the Chinese economy. And, of course, it would also assist in, in uh, improving um, the situation uh, when it comes to ecology in, in, in Chinese cities. Uh, 
there are discussions about one more route, the so-called Western route between Russian and Chinese companies. And we believe there are good prospects for, for such, a, such a project. Uh, as when it comes to power Siberia, it will start operating in the coming years. And uh, in, in 2019, it will, it will uh, provide 5 billion of cubic meters of natural gas from Russia to China. Um, we are very pleased that Chinese investors are very interested in participating in the Yamal LNG project, which is a major project in, in Russia. And we already have, uh, the Chinese banks have already said that they would provide around $12 billion to finance the project. And they will have, China will have a share of around 30% in, in Yamal LNG. And there is already a long-term uh, contract between uh, Russian and Chinese companies for um, supplying around 3 million tons of LNG a year from Russia to China, from, from Yamal LNG. Um, there was, uh, uh, on the 1st of January of 2017, um, the Russian-Chinese uh, agreement on the on the avoidance of double taxation will will enter uh, into force and we, we, we believe it, it will help our investment cooperation. And of course, uh, we, we try to integrate uh, our um, initiative of the Eurasian Economic Union and the, uh, the Chinese One Belt, One Road initiative. And there is a project for a Moskva-Kazan uh, high-speed uh, railway connecting to, to big cities of, of Russia and uh, many more. Unfortunately, I do not have time to, to mention all of the projects that we have, but we still that all these projects together will, will help us boost our trade and investment cooperation in the future and really reach new level of our, uh, in our economic cooperation, which is lagging behind com compared to our political interaction. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let me just have a very, very <coughs> quick and, and simple question on, on the possibility of, of Chinese financial institutions uh, replacing the, <coughs> I mean, the negative impact that comes from the financial sanctions from, from the EU. Because what we saw that there was some increase in, in lending from Chinese banks to, to, to Russia. But how do you see, is there a prospect for further increase there or, or not really? Yeah, we, be we believe there are good prospects here, and uh, this is uh, something that our governments are very uh, are working on, and uh, we think it will have effect. But uh, I, I would not connect it directly to sanctions. Still, it is recognized even by the United States that currently the effect of of uh, Western san sanctions on Russia is uh, is uh, de facto zero. You can read it in, in Western media, and it is. Uh, quite clear. It does not influence the, uh, influence the economic development, development of Russia anymore. What, what, what has uh, produced a negative effect is uh, the fall, the decrease in, in oil and gas prices, of course. Thank you. Very interesting comment. <coughs> Mr. Sam, please. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I fully agree with uh, Mr. Vasilis' uh, comment on the, uh, the political uh, relations uh, between China and Russia is on the uh, 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 unprecedented high level. And uh, so uh, my key point is mainly on the economic side. So first, uh, the, uh, I, I believe that uh, there are uh, huge 
uh, potential between China and uh, and uh, Russia in economic field. He mentioned at least the, the, the four um, major fields, that is uh, the energy, uh, energy and uh, uh, infrastructure financing and uh, and the technology. Uh, uh, energy uh, in energy, not only the, the gas, natural gas and oil, but also the nuclear energy. Uh, Russia is very strong at this uh, at this uh, uh, point, and also the technology. Maybe you are not very familiar uh, with that uh, cooperation. We are uh, exploring the uh, the uh, cooperation on this uh, long range uh, uh, wide body uh, an aircraft, and also on the heavy helicopter. So um, uh, uh, last year, uh, our bilateral trade volume uh, uh, decreased, but the absolute uh, volume of in import of uh, uh, energy from Russia is inc uh, increased. The, 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 the decrease mainly uh, due to the, uh, the, the, the lower, low, uh, lower uh, international oil price, commodity price. Uh, but we are uh, uh, quite aware uh, uh, about that. We want to try our best uh, uh, together with our uh, Russian friends to uh, uh, to to to, to um, uh, make more input this year uh, to uh, try to uh, reach the uh, uh, the goal of 100 billion uh, U.S. dollars and, uh, as soon as possible. Secondly, and China. Uh, uh, EU relish, uh, economic relations uh, have a very bright uh, uh, prospect. Last year, we uh, celebrated the 40th anniversary of the uh, uh, diplomatic relations, and we have uh, reached the five on a consensus on the five uh, uh, priorities. The first is a synergy between the, the One Belt One Road and the Juncker Plan. The second is uh, the connectivity platform. The third is the legal affairs dialogue. The fourth is the digital economy cooperation. The fifth is MMD, migration and uh, and and uh, um, uh, mobility dialogue. That is so to further uh, to 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 promote this people-to-people -people exchange. Uh, so uh, the third third point is that uh, I I believe that the uh, uh, the Russia uh, so-called pivot to Asia does not uh, uh, happen uh, after the Ukraine crisis, but much uh, okay. earlier than okay. that. And uh, from our statistics, uh, from 2002 to 2008, uh, the uh, annual, uh, yeah. the, the average uh, uh, the trade, uh, uh, bilateral trade increase by 37, 38%. Uh, so already in the 2008, yeah. we have exceeded almost uh, 50 uh, billion uh, U.S. dollars in the trade volume, and uh, so the uh, since the Asia is the uh, most prominent, uh, Asia Pacific the most prominent uh, area in this uh, century, and the uh, and the Russia is a country of Asia Pacific. So this is a historical trend uh, to, for Russia. To have, uh, to have, uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, the traditional focus on European market. The, on the other hand, uh, uh, increasing input in in, in Asia Pacific. And then the uh, and last the next point is that the China-Russia relations uh, develop does not on uh, uh, does not develop on the expense 
of the uh, of the of the EU or the EU Russia relations. Uh, I cannot uh, agree uh, in uh, with the argument in the in the, frequently in in the newspaper that China is the uh, is the biggest winner of the Ukrainian crisis uh, because uh, I think uh, uh, our uh, cooperation. Increased, increasing cooperation is a multi, uh, is a mutual beneficial. It's in the interest of our two peoples, and uh, we, uh, as China, we sincerely hope that EU-Russia uh, EU, uh, relations could be improved. But it depends on uh, uh, you both. And I, I've been uh, quite a long time uh, posted in Finland. I know the very, maybe I mentioned the very famous proverb. The Mr. Dosiasian Tunnustaminen on Kaiken Visauden Arku. It's the, the uh, uh, acknowledging, acknowledgement of uh, the facts is, uh, all, is the beginning of all wisdom. So uh, I think you, uh, Russia and the EU, you are highly interdependent for quite a long time even for centuries. So uh, I think uh, the, I, I don't want to uh, link the, uh, the, 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 uh, the decrease of market share in Russia with, directly with the, the sanctions, but you have your own uh, assessment. I read some report from the, uh, the EU chambers in Russia. The uh, president uh, is a German a business leader. He said, He's really concerned about this, uh, these uh, sanctions policies. If, an, if they continue another, uh, for a longer time, so he, he will lose uh, the European, uh, European uh, uh, say the companies will, will uh, suffer a, a, a magnificent loss from the, from the Russian market. I think I can interpret this remark in another way. Uh, during the last uh, years, the uh, the people-to-people -people feeling uh, about uh, and, and, uh, the, the, the other part uh, in China, in Russia, has increased uh, dramatically. Uh, 80%, around 80, more than 80% of Chinese people or the Russian people believe, uh, uh, take, uh, consider other, the other side as a trusted, trusted partner. I think this will provide a, a favorable business environment for, for both, uh, uh, for, for the companies of both sides. And then, uh, finally, is that what's the Chinese contribution to the improvement of the uh, EU-Russia relations? We, we have this uh, One Belt, One Road initiative. This is uh, our attempt to provide the international public uh, goods. And China, Russia, EU, we are uh, situated in the same continent, the Eurasian continent. I know that uh, many Europeans uh, said that we, uh, when we are in trouble, we turn to the uh, uh, transatlantic community. Uh, it's your choice, but you have uh, more option. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the One Belt, One Road initiative provides <coughs> a, a, a open, uh, how say, the cooperation uh, platform for anyone who is interested in it. China and Russia, we have uh, agreed that we build a synergy 
between one belt one road and uh, and the Russian economic uh, and uh, and the Eurasian economic uh, union, and uh, and we have China EU. We have also uh, uh, made a, a consensus. Now we are ready for 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 your uh, your choice. Uh, so we are uh, we, we are hoping that uh, we together we can uh, uh, have we can uh, contribute uh, a lot to the uh, to the common prosperity of this continent. As President Juncker said, uh, uh, this uh, geo, geo, uh, how say geographic uh, position is uh, is uh, is a, a simple fact. But the more we can do is. Have uh, both sides have the, the, the shared responsibility uh, for the common goods of the of the continent. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much, uh, Councillor San. Just a very short follow-up question. You mentioned the, the possible synergy between the One Belt One Road Initiative and this European Investment Plan, which is frequently called Juncker Plan. Just can you be a, just very briefly, uh, you know, explain what synergies you see and what cooperations? Yeah. Uh, at the at the uh, expert level, we have uh, uh, had uh, uh, several rounds of discussion and uh, the how the China can join uh, the uh, the Juncker investment plan, and uh, and I I I think uh, uh, there will be a positive progress uh, in the near future, and because uh, I think. Uh, 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 European side also, um, uh, how to say, attach much at, uh, of importance on China's involvement in this plan. Uh, if it comes into reality, that uh, China will be the first uh, uh, outside the European uh, Union uh, to, uh, to, 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 to get involved in this, in this plan and make a real contribution to that. Thank you. We look forward to it. Now, Ika Korhonen, please. <coughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I will basically just go over a few random thoughts and ideas that have uh, sort of been popping in my head during the, this, this morning's uh, discussions. But I think it's useful to sort of frame at least mentally the, the discussion in a way that the, what we are witness, witnessing is a sort of re-emergence of China as one of the big global players uh, in economic, but also in political terms. And many of the th themes we have discussed today are actually related to that uh, re-emergence. Re uh, we are wit witnessing uh, something that is new during our lifetime, and it's perhaps not so difficult to understand why we sometimes have a hard time even grasping the, the concepts behind, uh, behind the developments. And I, I do I agree with the uh, councillor soon on, on the say the emergence of China as the biggest uh, ex exporter in the Russian market. Yes, it, it predates the, the current political problems, but also I, I think it's quite quite natural that uh, China will become uh, more even more important in China, uh, sorry, in, in the Russian market. And then because market shares sum up to. 100, then somebody has to lose, and then it's, I think the, the the previously biggest partner, EU, is the, the most uh, most most natural uh, uh, candidate for that. 
on some other topics, uh, I think if I look at China and Russia and where the complementaries lie, also, again, many, many times during this morning we have talked about energy. Energy is always also about politics, not just economics. And I, I think there's clear political will and there's clear economic rationale for China and Russia to become more integrated in, in, in terms of the, the energy sectors. Uh, natural gas is one aspect of this, and there will be apparently big Chinese and Indian investment in, in various Russian energy companies, including Rosneft, which is of course not, not natural gas, but crude oil. Uh, I think this further sort of cements the relationship. But then uh, I do think that there's some, or, and there will be further cooperation in, in nuclear power, in nuclear power generation. What form that will take, I don't know, but uh, I mean, the, there's clear, again, clear complementary or demand and supply will perhaps uh, meet, meet in that sense. Uh, on the political processes, uh, both, uh, both of the previous speakers spoke about regional cooperation, but I would, actually, I would be very, very interested to hear your views on what is happening in, in Central Asia, where, as we saw, China has become more important in economic terms. But there are also many countries in that area that are sort of fragile in the sense that the political situation is quite difficult. And uh, I would be very interested to hear, see, hear how you view the possible China-Russia cooperation in, in that area. On One Belt, One Road initiative, well, we have seen, I think, one, one map. Over the past two years, I have seen many, many other maps of that same, and they always end up in different places and go by slightly by different routes. So it's a fairly sort of amorphous concept. But I, of course, I, I do think that the sort of increased infrastructure investment on the route between China or uh, or East Asia, or Southeast Asia, and, and Europe is, is beneficial, and it's beneficial for both endpoints, and it will be beneficial for the countries that are currently uh, are in between, because they will also get more uh, easier access to, to different markets. Um, I will sort of uh, close and uh, stick to my five minutes by sort of wondering out aloud whether uh, there will be more Chinese manufacturing investment in, in Russia. Currently, the, and with this exchange rate, the average salaries in China, in China are actually higher than in Russia. So just from that point of view, there is an economic case for that. But as we have seen, uh, where the oil goes, then the, the ruble follows. So, I mean, nobody knows what the salaries in, in dollars will be uh, tomorrow or, or the five years from now. So just from that sort of risk-averse point of view, it's perhaps uh, a bit uh, premature to, to expect uh, a lot of investment in, uh, a lot of Chinese investment in Russian manufacturing, uh, at least not in the sort of uh, near, near the Chinese border. Uh, perhaps if there is sufficient demand as perhaps there is, there would be in car manufacturing, 
also outside uh, Russia, then perhaps one, one day we will see uh, Chinese cars being manufactured also in Russia, but uh, perhaps uh, not this year and not, not next year, but uh, so five to ten year horizon. Thanks. Let, let me ask a question to you, and, and it's regarding the, the economic slowdown in China, which seems inevitable. Uh, and one question, whether you see it will be a soft landing or hard landing, and what its implications for investments in, in Russia? Because as you emphasize, there's a lot of you know, prospect for, for investments in manufacturing and other sectors, but what happens if the Chinese economy would slow down even more significantly than current forecast suggests? Uh, well, uh, I think our sort of central projection is still of a fairly benign sort of soft landing, if you want to call it that. Uh, the growth will decelerate and the growth will rebalance and that's all good and natural and has been expected for quite a while. At the same time, I, I think it's fair to say that the risks have increased over the past two, two to three years uh, and I think the but the way credit and bank lending has been used to, to boost growth, boost investment, and also investment in many areas that, that over, already are, have overcapacity, has increased risks of, uh, of hard landing. I think, still think that it's the, the benign scenario is more, uh, much more likely, but uh, I cannot, I cannot uh, sort of deny that risks have increased. Uh, I think in the long run, China will be much more present in all countries of the world, and uh, we will see much more Chinese investment in, in various places, uh, including Europe and, and including Russia. Uh, then on, on the way, well, perhaps one year, one year or two year will be slightly lower uh, lower inflows of, uh, of, uh, of investment, but then the, I think the overall uh, direction is quite clear. Thanks for this quite positive <laughs> tone at the end. So Alicia, now the floor is yours. Thank you very much. I'll be very brief because otherwise we'll have no discussion and I talked a lot. So just uh, basically two quick ideas. Um, we had a Finnish saying, so I'll use the Spanish saying, which is, una de cal, una de arena, which basically means that I'll start with the negative uh, side of it and then move to the positive and then, you know, end on a high note and, and give it to the floor. But on the cal, on the negative, um, I mean, I can understand uh, China's uh, approach to this question, you know, the friendship and everything you discuss, and that is very clear to me. But frankly, I'm, I'm more doubtful about Russia. And, and I'm not saying I'm right or anything, but I'm, again, on the negative or on the potentially, if you want, negative side, if I want to look at that first. And this is just because the concept of interdependence, no matter how you look at it, sometimes becomes dependence. Sometimes becomes dependence. And that's what I've seen analyzing. I understand those are regions that with a much lower income per capita, without the human capital that Russia has, with less helicopters. I understand all of that. But the reality is that, they, that there are regions out there in the world that have become extremely dependent on China. I'm not only talking trade, because uh, trade-wise, we're already there. Uh, and I don't think there is any doubt in terms of uh, trade deficit at the current prices. We'll see what happens in the future. 
uh, but but uh, we go beyond trade. And if we think about prospects for lending, they are only in one direction. And I don't think we're going to see huge amounts of outward FDI from Russia into China. If not, we're not going to see huge amounts of our FDI from anywhere in the world into China uh, in the future for many reasons. Um, and then we have bank lending, uh, which is increasingly and probably to, uh, in the future in one direction only. So I'm a little bit worried about uh, this interdependence becoming dependence, as I mentioned. And if I think about my previous life when I was writing papers on contagion and the single lender channel and stuff that may look on old fashioned but can come back, yeah? Uh, with all due respect, and I know that these economies are very different to a large extent, but not to all extents. Think about Venezuela today, you know, trying to uh, restructure 65 billion US dollar with China, yeah? Um, and and uh, it's just a huge dependence on a single lender. So so that's on the negative side of the potential uh, relation, meaning, you know, you, you could be stuck with, uh, the Venezuelan problem is different. They are the ones that have the problems. But what, what about if your lender starts uh, having problems and not being able to continue to lend, which is the old literature on the lender channel, contagion uh, channel. So, so that's only a warning signal on, on this uh, wonderfully uh, positive relation that we heard, that, that dependence is indeed an issue. On the positive, uh, the arena, as we say in Spanish, the, 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 the positive side of the story, I want to go back to the Belt and Road because that's where we see all of this, this triangle that uh, we were trying to uh, explore in this conference in a, different, in a different order, yeah? We see China, Russia, Europe being um, uh, linked uh, um, in a nice way compared to the current route. If we think about China's trade, as you know perfectly well and Jiangwei even better, I think it's about 70% driven by uh, sea uh, transportation today. Very different from Europe, which is mainly highway and to a lesser extent uh, uh, railway. Uh, so what about a world where railway becomes the major, uh, um, uh, the major uh, transportation means for trade in, within this uh, landscape? So there I do see a win-win for Russia, China, and Europe, because that's what we are building. So I think that we tend, I think in Europe, we, we tend to kind of, not avoid, but under-discuss this major transportation, uh, transportation uh, revolution, if I may, uh, in trade. That could happen. Of course, I want to be cautious, because whenever I raise this point, everybody reminds me, Ah, no way to compete because sea transportation is so much cheaper, and you know, and anything you see now is subsidized, as you know, in by Chinese local governments trying to push this uh, new uh, rail routes, uh, railway routes. Yes, maybe, but maybe because the volume is not yet there. You know, we don't really know what will be the equilibrium price once the volume really is there for railway transportation, and that's a big difference for Europe. Because you are at the end of that route. And, and, and I think that could make 
Russia-Europe relations also, trade relations are also different because you are at the other end of a route that has already been built. So, so in a way, we are recipients of a new, uh, uh, f if I may, free, um, you know, public good, if you want. In as far as this is China, basically, so far, paying the bill. So, as Europeans, we should be quite positive on this. Uh, so, I just wanted to give these two very different uh, prospects on dependency on the one hand and a major potential transformation in trade relations, thanks to the Belt and Road investments, especially on railway uh, transportation. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> thank you very much, Alicia. I'm sure that, uh, that first Secretary Gavrilov would, would, would respond to, to your worries about independence or dependence, sorry. Uh, but before that, let me open the floor because we are running out of time for, for questions and comments and we collect a few. And then I will give the floor back to the panelists for short Short remarks in a reverse order, so Alicia will start. Uh, now, who would like to ask a question or make a comment? Start, so. Um, okay, so, well, it's about Ika's uh, remarks on the prospects for growth in China, of course. Uh, I think the difficult thing is that the slowdown has already started. It's not that it's in front of us, it's behind us already. So uh, we were both in China last, over the last weeks and we know that in there some authority has mentioned L-shaped movements. We don't know who is that, uh, well, nobody knows. Uh, but uh, in our numbers, this is definitely the case. And I think this is linked to other comments about the uh, issue of debt in, in China. Basically, uh, the story is, is China currently like Japan in 1980 or Japan in 1990? Uh, so is it going to a slowdown of, say, 2% or is it going, I mean per capita, or is it going to a slowdown of zero? That's a sort of Japanese two-stage story. So it's a question. Any further questions or remarks? Well, maybe all of us are exhausted a bit uh, after this, this long day, but as I promised, let me give back the floor to the panelists if they would like to respond to each other. Uh, if Alicia not, then Ika, maybe. Uh, okay, uh, well, uh, Eric's question is, of course, very, very important, extremely important. I, if I had to choose, I think I would go for Japan in 1980, basically because I think there's still room for productivity improvements in many Chinese sectors, and there's uh, a lot of R&D activity and so on that will hopefully uh, support uh, transformation of many sectors, at least those that are, that have more, have more competition. But um, yeah, it will be interesting to watch. 
yeah, you wanted me to, to comment on, on dependence and interdependence. Yes. Just, uh, I think we, we should stick to the figures. Currently, uh, the share of China in, in Russian foreign trade is around, I think, 12%. This is not too much. The European Union uh, share uh, before 2013 was around, it, it used to be 52, 53%. Now it's around 46, as far as, far as I remember. And when it comes to exports of energy, of oil and gas, uh, our dependence on China is, 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 not, is not huge, and uh, probably it will not be huge, uh, even with uh, both uh, the eastern and the western route, possibly. Still, we cannot, I think we cannot speak of, uh, of uh, real uh, dependence. But uh, you should also not forget, you, you should not forget that Russia is uh, also an Asian country, and we, a uh, large part of our territory and our population is, is, is located in Asia. And uh, we really see uh, uh, that it is absolutely essential for Russia to integrate in, 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 uh, uh, in the Asian market. And uh, China is the biggest Asian power. And it is only natural, natural for Russia to boost its trade and economic cooperation with, with China, as, as well as with the rest of Asia, of course, as well. Um, and uh, still, again, on, on, when it comes to energy, we are more dependent on, on the European Union. Still yeah, still today, d despite all, all, despite all the all the public statements about EU's dependence on Russia. In fact, it it is probably the opposite. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Sun. Would you like some final words, please? Okay. Uh, First, the, uh, the the dependence and interdependence question. Uh, I think uh, you, if you interpret interpret this uh, issue for, uh, only from the the lender the point of view, I think this is too simply uh, too simple because uh, uh, we we invest uh, a lot in uh, Russia. Uh, it uh, it uh, because we believe in is uh, uh, long term. Uh, long-term growth, and is uh, is, is the, uh, an action from the from from the from the enterprises. It's a decision made by the enterprises, and uh, uh, if I, I give you the, a comparison, if I lend you uh, 100, uh, 100 million uh, uh, euros, uh, uh, do you think you are subordinate to me, or or on the vice versa? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, so even in this way, it's uh, interdependent, and uh, and also the uh, the China in the next five years, uh, the uh, the China's outbound FDI uh, will uh, accumulate to uh, uh, five hundred billion uh, U.S. dollars. Uh, so, but thirty years ago, can you imagine? We we are the the main destiny nation uh, destination the country receive. FDI, I think the same story will happen in in, in Russia, maybe in a uh, shorter uh, period than China has experienced. Then the uh, uh, one belt one road. I, I agree with you that it's an opportunity uh, for for the EU to grasp, because we when we talk about this uh, uh, the the, uh, the the cent the twenty first century is a century for Asia of Asia or Asia-Pacific, it makes uh, European as an outsider. 
but but if we uh, uh, China Russia uh, uh, EU uh, we uh, uh, make joint efforts to boost the the, the 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 prosperity of the whole continent, then there will be also this century will be a century of the Euro Eurasia continent. I think this is our shared future. And also, uh, we have uh, witnessed the early harvest in this project uh, for, the, uh, uh, for the multiple uh, win for, uh, for either, uh, or every one of us, each of us. The, that is the, uh, the freight, rail, uh, freight, uh, freight rail cooperation uh, uh, in the, uh, along the, the Silk Road. Uh, we have now uh, opened uh, more than 10 pairs of uh, of uh, ten uh, how say the freight rail uh, uh, delivery uh, con connecting uh, uh, more than uh, ten pairs of uh, uh, cities uh, in Europe and in China. Every route uh, pass through uh, Russia, so it's already uh, an early harvest, and there are also uh, more 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 uh, results in the future. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, <clears throat> thank you very much, and, and thanks, thanks for for all, all the panelists, uh, both in my session and also in the in the previous session. I think I, it's very difficult to close such a such a rich <clears throat> discussion, but I think one very key conclusion is that there are many unexploited opportunities uh, in the economic cooperation between Russia and China, which also have a lot of positive implications for the EU. So I think for us at Bruegel and at Buffett, I think our role as an economist to, to make good suggestions how to, how to progress um, in this process further. So with, with this closing note, let me, let me thank for all of you, also for the audience for coming and participating in this very exciting workshop. So thanks very much. Thanks.